Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Dr. Will Cole is a chiropractor and functional medicine expert who specializes in autoimmune and all things gut health. He's the best-selling author of Ketotarian, and we are super excited about his latest book, The Inflammation Spectrum. Will, welcome. Thanks, Jason. I'm excited to be here. One of our favorite people in the world. Well, feeling is mutual, my friend. (laughs) We love you. you. And congratulations on this incredible new book, The Inflammation Spectrum. Thank you so much. It was, I'm excited for people to read it. So... Inflammation seems to be an almost, we were talking about this, like nebulous term in wellness right now. What exactly is inflammation? Inflammation is a product of our immune system. It's sort of the immune system's soldier's defense mechanism. It fights viruses, it fights bacteria, it heals our body. So like anything in our body and like anything really in the environment outside of our body, It's about balance. It's not inherently bad, like our gut microbiome, bacteria, like our hormones. It's the Goldilocks principle, right? It's not too high, not too low, but just right. And with inflammation, it's just right when we need it. So we needed to fight that virus and bacteria, but we needed to calm back down after that. The problem that we face as a society today is that it's going high and not calming back down. It's the sort of insidious chronic inflammation that is linked to just about every health problem out there that we face as a a world. So diabetes, heart disease, cancer, all chronic inflammatory issues, autoimmune conditions, almost all chronic inflammatory issues, even things that don't seem inflammatory to the layperson, you know, like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, at least like studies suggest, at least to some degree, they have an inflammatory component, if not for some people to be full-blown inflammatory conditions. So it's definitely something that it it's nebulous, but when people understand like those issues that I just mentioned, that impacts so much of the world today. So we have to deal with the inflammation. We have to deal with, with what's driving the inflammation as well. So basically every chronic lifestyle disease, inflammation is the root cause. Yeah, inf- inflammation is a commonality. So it's, this is a functional medicine term, but it's both upstream and downstream. So something's driving that inflammation. Something is upstream to inflammation that's causing it to be imbalanced. But then because the body's interconnected, it also will trigger other problems too because we're made up of cells and cell membranes uh, become more rigid and oxidized as inflammation goes on. And that triggers genetic predisposition because of the DNA in our side of our cells. So inflammation in one area can, can beget you know, inflammation in other problems. So turning genes on and off. Exactly. It's constantly and dynamically instructing genetic expression. So it's, uh, it, then it becomes this forest fire, this sort of vicious cycle of inflammation. So... How do I know if I'm inflamed? So subdiagnostically, like without running, without running labs, if you're not getting full-on diagnostic, I have a, a quiz in the book for people to kind of check in with their body. Because oftentimes people 
are going through issues for so long they don't even realize it's not normal. Um, and ubiquity doesn't equate with normalcy when it comes to these inflammatory problems. So like low-grade fatigue, anxiety, low-grade digestive problems, all the way to the other end of the inflammation spectrum, full-blown uh, flares of these issues can, are going on as well. But even like in the quiz, I got really specific about the different systems of the body. Another word for functional medicine is systems medicine. So we're looking at all the systems of the body of where these inflammation spectrum issues can be caused. So randomly, like the outer third of your eyebrows was one of the questions on the quiz in the book. And it's so, you know, why would be, he be asking that? But it's a sign in functional medicine to kind of see, hey, it could be a thyroid problem. There's thyroid resistance, which is hormonal resistance patterns. The thyroid receptor sites are blunted, and that impacts so many things because every cell of our body has a thyroid receptor site. So it really can impact just about every issue in our body, every system of our body. So I would say, if you don't run labs, go through and ask yourself these questions that I have there, which are just adapted from questions that I ask, ask my patients uh, in my clinic. But the the gold standard way would be to running labs. Uh, so some labs that we run, these are basic labs that you, anybody's doctor can run. We run them for patients, but you don't need a functional medicine doctor. So a high sensitivity C-reactive protein, it's an inflammatory marker. In functional medicine, we want it under one. Uh, above that's a sign that inflammation is imbalanced. It's higher than what we want. And it's also, CRP is a uh, surrogate lab for interleukin-6, which is another pro-inflammatory cytokine that is associated with these chronic health problems, things like autoimmune conditions and so on and so forth. Uh, homocysteine uh, is another one, which in functional medicine, we want it under seven. It's an inflammatory marker. It has to do with methylation and recycling homocysteine down into methionine. If there's impaired methylation, which we need healthy methylation pathways for detox pathways and brain function and hormone function, gut health, all that stuff, you're going to have a backup of these pro-inflammatory amino acids. These pro-inflammatory uh, biomarkers will be higher, and homocysteine is one of them. Uh, and those are two, like CRP and high-sensitivity CRP and homocysteine are two conventional labs that anybody's doctor can run. Ferritin is another one. Uh, it's a biomarker to gauge for stored iron, but it's also what's considered an acute phase reactant. So basically in states of inflammation, you'll see ferritin spike. Um, those are the basic labs you can have run. Uh, but then there's some more detailed labs that I run for my patients, like calprotectin and lysozyme. These are like gut-centric inflammatory what markers. Calprotectin and lysozyme. These are basically immune markers that I run on a stool test, a microbiome test. It. So it's seeing, is the immune system upregulated and is the as the gut microbiome the gastrointestinal system upregulating itself to in a state of inflammation and you'll see calprotectin uh, and uh, lysozyme being higher um, so those are two uh, biomarkers that I, I run and then we run all the genetic tests too to kind of look at the infrastructure because it, in this sort of field of looking at epigenetics and genetics and autoimmunity and inflammatory problems, research estimates that a third of that inflammatory puzzle is genetics, but two-thirds is epigenetics. It's the lifestyle things, as you had said, is constantly and dynamically instructing gene expression. But we can't ignore that one-third, even though it's not the majority of the facets of inflammatory problems, it's still a component. So we look at methylation gene impairments like MTHFR and MTRR and the COMT. There's so many gene SNPs that are associated 
with a backup of these inflammatory markers. These are sluggish gene variants that we get from our mom and our dad, and they're SNPs, they're single nucleotide polymorphisms, and we get a copy from our mom and our dad. Um, and then the endocannabinoid, there's certain different endocannabinoid gene variants that are associated with these inflammatory issues because the gut is rich with the CB1 receptors, these cannabinoid receptors, and people with these sluggish cannabinoid receptors in their guts associated with higher gut-centric inflammation and these inflammation spectrum issues. So endocannabinoid, one of the reasons why everyone loves hemp and CBD, yeah. BCS, endocannabinoid system. So I want to go back to like the levels, you know, the inflammation spectrum, if you will. It seems to me that there's probably widespread inflammation. Like most people experience, not most people, but many people experience like, eh, you know, little tired, mm -hmm. little bloated. And then you've got the more severe inflammation where we're talking about autoimmune and like markers wildly out of control. Yeah. In your estimation, you see people all over the place. Like, do you think most people suffer from some form of inflammation and probably don't even realize it? Yeah, I do. I think, that, and, and I know I'm like, if I'm basing it off my patient base, I'm probably not the best person to ask because I'm normally dealing with people that have the health problems. Um, but if you look at the statistics, you really can see that it is really common, sadly. I mean, the le when research estimates that 50% of the United States is insulin resistant. Wow, it's that high. Yeah. 50. And that's either, you know, metabolic syndrome or prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. That's a lot of people. It's one in two. That's just insulin resistance, which is an inflammatory, has an inflammatory component. But then you look at 50 million Americans with an autoimmune disease and you look at the levels of anxiety and depression and fatigue. I mean, these are sadly like so pervasive. But uh, so, yeah, I think the statistics speak for themselves there. So what are some of the things that we can do if we're just not feeling as great as we we should you know a little bit of, a little bit of fog a little bit of bloating like mm -hmm. what are some of the easy things that we should we should be doing on a daily basis to to help yeah i think the easy things that wield a lot of influence on our biochemistry to downregulate those inflammatory cascades to support healthy gene expression uh to support gut health of course it starts with food and people know that, but people don't always lean into that as like a true like lifestyle for themselves. They'll have a little bit of healthy here, a little bit of healthy there, but they're holding on to things that they know isn't serving them. So I think people need to get full in and like full into what they need to be doing food-wise to see the changes they're looking to see. You can't just flirt with healthy eating <laughs> if you're feeling unhealthy. You have to kind of be all in. And that doesn't mean you don't have, you know, odd things that aren't maybe the best for you, but your general foundation is are things that are in alignment with your health and biochemistry, the uh, balance. Uh, so healthy food and um, sleep, it's profoundly important from an inflammation standpoint. Just one night of poor sleep will raise C-reactive protein. But yeah, how many people do we know? It's not a one night thing. Right. This is like they have trouble falling asleep or they have trouble staying asleep and or they have things like sleep apnea or they're on their electronics too late. All of this sleep hygiene topic, uh, these components to sleep hygiene that we have to look at for patients and people in general should be assessing it for themselves. Uh, and stress. Stress is inflammatory too. Um, and that's that, you know, that word stress is, you know, it, it can be made so like 
superficial and flippant and like an Instagram post, but it's more than that, right? It's, it's about really looking at these low-grade chronic stressors. The human race has, is here today because we could handle a certain amount of stress and grit. I, I don't mean to say that we shouldn't have some stressors in our life, but it's this chronic insidious stress, like the being chased by a tiger, but then there's no tiger and the tiger never goes away and it's this mismatch between our genetics and epigenetics it's this constant uh, onslaught of technology and uh, we're living in a whole new world from a genetic epigenetic standpoint so we need to find these checks and balances with modernity to um, recalibrate inflammatory cascades in our body well with regards to stress something I'll, i'll say often is it's really hard to reduce it, but you can learn to manage it. Exactly. It just changes. Yeah. And perspective. And I mean, I think that's where it's so powerful to like really have a mindfulness practice, whatever that is, because that's such a powerful tool to manage that stress. What's great about mindfulness is it's a real time tool. So there are a lot of, without going into a deep dive and all the different forms of meditation, so like Vedic or TM, it's 20 minutes. It's very hard. It's not a, and it's a great practice. It's a powerful practice, which I've practiced for years, but there's something about mindfulness. It's like real time. Totally. What's happening? Why am I really angry at the moment? Let's like feel into that for a second. And it's like a a great real time practice. Totally. And you can do it any, anytime. It's completely free. (laughs) Just check in with your body (laughs) and be the observing presence of it instead of confusing yourself for your thoughts and emotions. I do that all day long. And it, to me, is such a centering thing. And it's, your body's trying to recalibrate that. It's a cortisol. When cortisol's coming up, it's that stress hormone. It's your body's natural anti-inflammatory drug. It's trying to balance out the inflammation. uh, And it's just unsustainable because you're constant in that fight or flight sympathetic response. That's what HPA axis dysfunction is, what they call adrenal fatigue. So it's, uh, we need to help our body out by centering itself. Well, I'm glad you mentioned stress, but I want to go back and and go more specific on Mm -hmm. foods. Yeah. So which foods do you think need to be at the foundation of an anti-inflammatory diet? And then on the flip side, which foods are like, Mm -hmm. you kind of need to stay away from? So the heart of the inflammation spectrum in the book is to educate people on the inflammation spectrum, but it's also to find out what your body loves and what your body hates. Because like seeing patients for the past 11 years at this point, what works for one person may not work for the next person. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have this conversation in the in the wellness space of like the carnivore diet or plant-based diet and ketogenic diet or intermittent fasting. It is not one size fits all. And even with un- under the umbrella of keto or paleo or carnivore, what foods are you picking underneath that umbrella? What, how are you doing that way of eating? So there's so much bio-individuality, which is really the heart of this, is this food experiment that I really want people to go on and to, to put themselves through to learn about their body and what works and what doesn't. With that said, um, I would say that there's some low-hanging fruit, so to speak, right? There's some like easy enough things that I would say would benefit most human beings by leaning into is bringing in more healthy fats into your life. Uh, and those are healthy omega fats, either from wild-caught fish or good nuts and seeds. I obviously recommend soaking them and 
having the, the, the fats to be more bioavailable. Uh, and avocados or olives, olive oil, um, and then green leafy vegetables or like green vegetables in general. And I think, of course, to make them more bioavailable, I'm for most people cooking them yep. because people's guts are wrecked, for lack of better words. They just make, while it brings down the nutrient content by cooking them, makes it more digestible for people because people aren't handling salads today. Right. <laughs> That's the sad part is like even salads are really hard for people to digest. So I would say those are two things like bring up your healthy fats bring up your um, healthy uh, greens and to decrease sugar and things that turn into sugar. Uh, so that's sugar and all it's, you know, w- weird, you know, words, these euphemisms for sugar limit that. I, Mark Hyman actually said this, I think at the first revitalize and I, I've stuck with me. <laughs> he said we should treat sugar like a recreational drug. Yeah. And, and I think that's, how I see it too is that we all have different tolerance to sugar. I'm not saying avoid sugar every day, all day, every day for everybody, but we should limit it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that would be some things that people can consider. So I want to go back to nuts and seeds. I'm a nut lover. I'm always curious. How do you rank your nuts? My favorite ones? Yeah. I, I, Brazil nuts are good. I am having my functional medicine hat on. There's a problem that I see on labs of selenium deficiencies, and Brazil nuts are one of the easiest ways to get selenium optimized. And not to get super nerdy here, but selenium is needed for a lot of different pathways in the body. One of them is it's used to make the enzyme 5 prime deitinase, which is converts T4 to T3. It activates your thyroid hormone. So selenium deficiency will cause lower T3 levels of the activated thyroid hormone. So that's my functional medicine answer on my favorite nut. It would be Brazil nuts for that reason. You just don't need that many. Personally, I like uh, cashews. I love cashews. Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Gundry. Yeah, they're technically <laughs> legumes, right? But Love them. Which I saw trending <laughs> on uh, Twitter, the actual cashew yeah, the tra- fruit. The, yeah, the fruit, the fruit. Like, the you fruit. cannot unsee this. Yeah. Like, did you know cashews look this strange on a tree? Yeah, that that's probably, I like cashew butter. Yeah, sorry, Dr. Gundry. Yeah, I love pistachios, too. Yeah, me too. I just can't. I, I, I'm obsessed with, I get the pistachios that are needed. Yeah. I just can't do the work. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I eat them so fast, I can't yeah. do I can't. My hands are like bleeding. my hands, yeah. <laughs> like, I love those. That's good to hear. Yeah. Will Cole and Kai, I love it. I yeah. love it. So we, you sort of touched this a little bit as we were talking about what's good and what's bad, and I think something in our community that, you know, we would be mindful of is this idea of, diet fatigue and orthorexia taking this to extremes like what's your point of view as we're trying to frame up the conversation about like okay this is good this is bad like you you need a healthy base and Mm -hmm. some people can get carried away with that and i I get it It, Mm -hmm. it can happen like what's your point of view on the fatigue of all the information on what we should eat and not yeah. eat and getting carried away with it. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's Dr. Google, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the double-edged sword of this endless vortex of oftentimes conflicting information, but it's good. You just have to have discernment and you have to like look at the source and who's saying it. And, and I think that's where like a 
well-thought-out elimination diet, the way they advocate it in the book, is to find out what works for your body and what doesn't. That way, it's not about some sort of agenda from an author, whether it's me or somebody else. It's really you seeing what works for your body and using real-life experience on how I feel when you reintroduce things. And that's still the gold standard in functional medicine and clinical nutrition is a well-formulated elimination diet approach. And we tailored it in the book so it can be a little bit more targeted based on the quiz results. Um, but I do believe beyond this, like in this space, is that we do have diet fatigue. We do have, uh, I would say, a rise of orthorexia, which is that fear, shame, stress, overeating, healthy. Uh, and I see it a lot in my clinic. And I think that oftentimes it is born out of real health problems, going back to those statistics of health issues and the rise of autoimmunity and these food reactions people are afraid to eat food because foods are making them feel horrible. Mm -hmm. So I oftentimes feel that orthorexia is born out of a real physical trauma that then it becomes this vicious, like uh, disordered eating because of that um, problem. And then sometimes it's not a physical issue and it is just a, a mental health issue or it, and it's creating physical symptoms. So it's bi-directional for sure. The mind and the body and the body and the sure. mind, but the, we have to, in my opinion, bring grace and recalibrate and redirect um, our perspective on food of not being punitive and not being restrictive for the sake of it, but saying, how can I love my body enough to feed it good things? And sometimes we do need to get back to the basics and sort of uncomplicate things and don't worry so much about the macros and the micros and measuring all the stuff and food logging or obsessing about anything. Just get back to the basics because stressing about eating healthy isn't good for your health. Yeah. And that's the problem that <laughs> many people find themselves on. So my, like the, but probably the third message in the inflammation spectrum is this uh, using self-care as a form of self-respect and loving your body enough to feed it good things. Because it's so, like, if to me, it's like if you heal your, your relationship with food, if you heal your relationship with yourself, that makes all this healthy eating stuff more sustainable, more practical, more enjoyable in general. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Well, if you go back to... to you know, Blue Zones, Dan Butner, who I love, this idea of sitting down at a table with friends, breaking bread, if you will, is something that's really great yeah. for your emotional well-being, which mm -hmm. we know is, is a direct effect on your health. And and is that as much fun if you're sitting down and you're like, oh, I can't have that, I can't have that. And then you're stressed because you're like, what's everyone going to think of me and yeah. I can't do that. And like, look, like that's not like an everyday thing, but there is something to be said for sitting around a table with people you love, friends, laughing, having mm -hmm. a good time and having a great dessert. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I see this phenomenon sometimes with patients that they're on a certain protocol and when they go on vacation, they would eat things that they never would eat when they're away and they don't have the same responses as they have when they're, so that's the impact that stress impact that just relaxing and enjoying your food has. And yeah, maybe you can look at the food supply in Europe versus here, but I think it largely has to do with people's relationship with their body and food when they're eating. 
and their stress levels. I love that. Jason Karp, who we talked about, who has been on this podcast, one of the founders of uh, Hugh Kitchen, who has serious autoimmune, made the same exact comment that mm. he'd go on vacation and would, you know, and this is a guy who's very sensitive, serious autoimmune issues, you know, enjoyed a lot of food and, and you know, on vacation, but felt fine. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes sense. Yeah. that Because we like to separate like mental health and like stress being part of that from physical health, but mental health is physical health and our stress, our mental emotional state instructs our biochemistry. So you get it. You've been with us for, for years. My buddy green, one word, mental, <laughs> physical, right. spiritual, emotional, and yeah. environmental well-being, all connected, which, which leads me to, we'd be remiss not to talk about the last part, the green part, environmental well-being, specifically our home, air quality, something we talked about before the show, mold. Like, let's talk about like what's going on environmentally and yeah. the effect of inflammation there. It's a powerful mover of inflammation. And we run labs for patients to see this. And you can run immune markers like uh, C4A and C3A to see and other pointers from a diagnostic standpoint to see if mold may, may be an issue. And obviously, you have to get a home inspector at that point and see if mold, because what will mold do? This sort of low-grade mold is an immune stressor. It upregulates inflammatory cascades. It's linked to chronic fatigue. It's linked to triggering autoimmune conditions. And then other toxins too, not just biotoxins like mold, but also uh, products that people are using in their home. And the levels of multiple chemical sensitivity that we see is really high because the amount of products that people are using that are, for lack of better words, toxic. And we use that word maybe too flippantly in this in you know our space, but I think that's it's what it is. And you're you're we all have different. Uh, glass sizes. Some people have big glasses, some people mm-hmm. have small glasses. That's our genetic tolerance to stressors like mold or, to- or pe- pesticides and herbicides or cleaning products with you know unregulated ingredients or food. And some people have small glasses. So we can't change the glass size. We can't change our genetic, stre- our genetic uh, ability to handle stressors, but we can change what we put in the glass. Uh, so to go green, like using um, resources like Mind Body Green, using resources like the Environmental Working Group to educate people on what are they putting on their skin. Our skin's our largest organ. And what we put on our skin is largely absorbed into the body and into the bloodstream. Um, educate yourself on clean beauty. Educate yourself on what laundry detergent you're using. And I'm not saying you have to live in a bubble and become so fearful and stressed about this, but it's just doing the best you can with the access you have that's within your budget to start to clean up your life. And what I've seen is that even people make little changes can start to really move the needle in a powerful way. They don't have to be perfect. They just have to start to progress. I love that. So last question, what's exciting to you right now? Like, what do you, there's so much happening in wellness. What do you think we're going to be talking about in the future, say a year from now? Like, where's the conversation going to shift? I think the conversation is going to shift of really um, to use food as medicine, but on a personal basis. And I think, and this is nothing new in our space, but I think it's going to get a louder voice is intuitive eating. And it's going to be a rebound effect of orthorexia and, and, and diet fatigue. I love that. Dr. Will Cole, always a pleasure. Thanks, friend. Everyone, check out the Inflammation Spectrum. Another must read from Will Cole. We love it here at My Muddy Green. Love you guys.